Hi, and welcome to The Fit, the fashion, innovation, and technology podcast hosted by eFitter, personalizing the shopping experience for you. My name's Judith. And I'm Elizabeth. And on The Fit, we delve into the complex world of fashion and tech with insights from industry players, old and new, and much, much more. Join us every other Monday for a new episode you do not want to miss. To join the tribe, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at eFitter app, and join the conversation using the hashtag TheFitsPod. So today we're speaking with Rebecca, founder of luxury women's wear fashion designer brand Rebecca Tembo and founder of The Entry Platform, a community for aspiring designers and entrepreneurs. So first of all, I want us to kind of get a bit of insight into you and your brand. We know that you haven't taken the more conventional route into fashion. So talk to us a bit about your background into becoming a fashion designer and where you are now. Um, okay, so I have Rebecca Tembo, which is my jumpsuit brand, and I have the entry platform as well, which is a platform for aspiring designers who want to develop their entrepreneurial mindset and design skills. How I actually got into fashion was in secondary school, I was taken to the Fashion Retail Academy, which is just off of Tottenham Court, Tottenham Court Road in London, and um, it was for like a one week course during the 2012 Olympics, and we had to like design some sort, some sort of like a pleasure outfits or something because of the olympics and i didn't have any technical skills but i could draw so they would just you know select me for those kind of things so when it came to choosing what i wanted to study for gcse's and for um, my a levels i really wanted to see fashion but of course my parents said no so i didn't end up doing fashion until in my first year of college i'm very academic so i was doing like five a levels and i had this um what do I call it, a supernatural experience. And it basically just confirmed that I meant to do fashion. So I just told my parents, I'm not continuing college anymore. I'm gonna leave after my first year and go to the fashion school that I had um, went to for that short course. And um, of course they were like, no at first, but at the same time, I'm quite stubborn. So I was like, I'm, I'm gonna go anyway. So um, they came around and I went there, studied fashion, understood the basics. I left earlier than the completion date, but I feel like I got what I needed from there. And then I just started making pieces, posting them on social media. And luckily it was at the time where prom season was going on. So there was just clients already there. And literally it was just client by client. I don't think I had the skills at that time, but I just wing everything. So yeah, it was just client by client and then it just grew. And then I was like, okay, I want this. I, I guess I just uh, got a deep sense of clarity in terms of what I wanted to create. So then I decided to create a collection and um, launch that in January. And here we are today. Really interesting about your journey is that it's actually very specific. So you only actually design jumpsuits, right? Yeah. Yeah, luxury jumpsuits. And in terms of, I mean, as a designer, I think designers are very like niche and they know what their, you know, market wants. But how did that come about? Like, how did you sit down and say, okay, this is a type of market that I'm targeting and they want luxury and they want jumpsuits. And how did, how did that come about for you? I guess the first issue was like with, well, you know, when you go online, you're trying to find an outfit. I never wanted to wear what everybody else was wearing. I'm quite simple in the way that I dress, but I don't want to have the same outfit that every single girl has on at the same place. So I was going, you know, your typical size ASOS, misguided, all of these websites and try and find an outfit. And there was nothing that stood out to me, especially as a jumpsuit, because um, I, th- I guess I generally just like jumpsuits anyway. So I couldn't even find anything like that. Um, I remember maybe three, four years ago, I made my first jumpsuit and I wore it out and the compliments I got were insane and it didn't register 
at the time, but like, looking back, I'm like, okay, now everything kind of makes sense. Um, but yeah, I, I just couldn't find what I was looking for. Or if I did find it, it was at a very high price point. So not everybody, it's not even about can't afford. It's more like, is it the right time? Are you at the right stage of, of your life to go and buy a 1,000 pound jumpsuit from Nessa Porter or something? So I was like, okay, where, where do we kind of meet in the middle where it's not fast fashion and it's not um, what everybody else is wearing, but it's also not super, super expensive where it's not really attainable right now. Because if you're just going for a wedding or it's your birthday and you're wearing the outfit once, maybe twice, you don't want to spend a thousand pounds on something like that. Even the wealthiest of people might be like, mm, that's a bit of, that's a bit of money. So that's really where the idea came from. Um, just not finding what I wanted out there. Sure. So during the pandemic, um, obviously you're focusing on luxury, a, a specific luxury piece. And we've been at home for eight months, thereabout. So it'd be really interesting to know how, what your business looked like before the pandemic how you have pivoted and whether anything has changed. So has there been a massive change in terms of your market, your marketing strategy or your business as a whole? Before the pandemic, I feel obviously despite all the bad things that have come with it, I feel very um, grateful for it because I feel like I was possibly heading in the wrong direction. Not necessarily that things would have gone wrong, but I don't know how to describe this, but in the best way possible, Sometimes you think what you're doing is right and you, you're just going to stick to that blueprint, but then you need something to just shake you up a bit to realize that, you know what, this would have caused so much mayhem or so much stress or whatever. So the pandemic allowed me to kind of just breathe and really, really understand who my customer was because I had so much time to think and to analyze and to observe and to like listen to conversations because I, I guess the most important thing is who is your customer throughout a pandemic? Like how, how do they spend and things like that. So I really had the opportunity to just really sit down. And I guess, um, so prior to the pandemic, I was creating obviously luxury pieces that were 300 pounds plus. Um, I've always had an audience that couldn't necessarily afford it or it's not something that they can prioritize right now in their, you know, in their spending. And I needed, well, I, I felt like it would be a good idea to figure out how to serve them as well, which is why I introduced loungewear. There's other reasons behind the loungewear, but I realized that, okay, this is actually something a lot more affordable, um, accessible, it's quicker to make as well. So like turnaround times can be quicker and things like that. So I guess through COVID, I was able to create this other stream of revenue through the business. And one thing I definitely learned is that it's something that loads of luxury brands do. You have those more expensive pieces like, you know, brands will have couture and everything, but then you have your accessories or you have that ready to wear line or something else that's really driving money through the business so that when things happen like this, you still have cash flow coming in, which is so, so, so important. Um, I've learned. And now that I've experienced both the luxury side and then the more affordable side, it's given me so much clarity, like moving forward, what do I want to do? And I think, what I've discovered is just being right in the middle of that. I think that's perfect for me. And I guess the last thing on that would be, now I'm thinking, is it sustainable in terms of, you know, a business model to only focus on one sort of product? Like, is it sustainable to only focus on jumpsuits or do I need to introduce other pieces that are, you know, you can wear with different things and stuff like that? Because as much as you can love design, you have to think about the money and how that's flowing through the business. Sure. It's so funny you say this because um, one of the conversations Judith and I had was about how 
in the pandemic, obviously, I mean, it's not ideal. It's a horrible time to be in, but it's allowed us a time of clarity to just kind of sit and think about everything that's moving around us. So it's really interesting to see how that impacted your business too. But would you say that there's anything else apart from introducing new product lines that you've been forced to do differently or has it changed your way of working? Um, honestly, no, I don't think it's changed my way of working. Um, if anything, it's just made me even more entrepreneurial and outside of Rebecca Temba, obviously I have the entry as well. And it's just thinking of other revenue streams to come through that, which have actually turned out to be quite successful throughout this, just using your knowledge and selling it. Um, I think, yeah, if anything, it's just made me think bigger of what I could do outside of just having a clothing brand. And I've always said, especially as designers or people in the creative industry, there's this whole notion of like creatives are broke or creatives, um, should struggle or whatever and unfortunately I do not align with that sort of narrative so I um yeah it's just made me think bigger and I've seen so much uh so many so much results from what I've been able to do so yeah speaking about the entry platform because I I've watched I follow that you guys on Instagram which I, I find amazing I'm not a fashion designer but it's very um promising to see other budding designers, especially in this climate, still wanting to know more about the intricacies of fashion design and, you know, how to ensure that your postage and packaging is correct and it's not feeding too much into your, your bottom line. So little things like that, but what motivated you to actually build the entry platform, especially in this period? So technically it started in January because I hosted two in-person workshops in Ells Court and they were for the full day so the first one sold out second one sold out then I decided to do a webinar version because I have a huge following from the US etc and um when it came to April and COVID happened I was like okay people aren't going to be buying jumpsuits to go anywhere because there's nowhere to go although I actually had some sales but um I was like I've done the workshops I've got evidence that this is really good the reviews are great and I can trust that what I'm putting out there will be valuable let me do an online course and I've always followed people that are in that kind of um, digital product world so I had a bit of information about it and I was but I didn't I've never done a course before I've never done an online course I've never um, held one so there was a lot of like maybe a week or two where all I did was listen to content based on course creating and the whole business of that. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to launch this course in two weeks, which is crazy. I meant to like give it six months or something, but I just did it in um, two weeks. But what it made me do as well was actually have a platform because the whole point of um, having these products that you can sell and make money from, you need to be able to give free valuable information out. So having the Instagram was like the next best step and just giving that out. And I knew that after the course, I still wanted to continue doing that um, because initially there wasn't a plan to really grow into a big digital brand but now that I've seen what I'm able to do I've now got a plan for that so it's kind of just um, gone on from there but there is nothing more amazing than getting messages and seeing how you're able to inspire people and the actions that they're taking and the results that they're taking from your work from your advice and whatnot and I think like, yes, it's good to have money coming in from different areas, but just being able to help people and just see the results is the best feeling. We'll be back to this conversation in a sec, but in the meantime, here's our take on what's happening in the world of fashion and tech. Last week, PLT launched its first homeware collection, PLT Home. Heads definitely turned, ours included. Whilst H&M also announced a collaboration with designer Diane von Furstenberg. 49% of people took to DIY during lockdown this summer, 
and a further 34% plan to make changes to their homes before Christmas. Have you actually decided to do anything different to yours, Lady? I feel like at the start of lockdown, I was really in my home improvement bag and it was just like everyone else was just buying plants, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I'm a plant mom. I'm now the happy mother of, I think, 10 plants. 10? Yeah. Most of them are in my living room. There are a couple in my room. Um, But also plants for me, I think, are fairly low cost in the long term way to just spruce up your living room. Whereas I'm a bit of a homeware fiend, like I love H&M Home. I I never thought I would because I'm not a big H&M fan, but H&M Home bangs severely. Exquisite, exquisite content on H&M Home. I have to say, I I do not like H&M either. I wouldn't buy anything there for me to wear, but for for home, 100%. So, so good and affordable too. And I think that's the thing where I'm like, I see all these things in H&M Home or Zara Home to a lesser extent, but, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'd love to buy those. But if I do that, I'm definitely falling down the rabbit hole where I'm spending like 300 pounds redoing my living room for no reason, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's what started for me at the beginning of lockdown. Obviously working from home, you're in your, well, I live at my parents' house, so I'm in my room like 24 seven. And I just realized I was like, I cannot work and sleep and live here the way it was and it was it was bad like it was it was not utilizing the space at all so I sold my bed and it kind of went from there I was bedless for like a month and I ended up yeah shifting everything around and doing a lot of DIY painting my walls again and um, built my bed myself those kind of things but I do feel like what the article actually said is that brands should be focusing on smaller home accessory items versus you know, knocking down walls and things because most people found that in lockdown, their spaces were literally not the ideal place they want to be in 24 seven. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, PLT making this shift does definitely make sense. And you know, they're more Gen Z focused. So offering accessories versus, you know, a sofa, for example, makes perfect sense for those that want to, you know, spruce up the room with like a pillowcase or a little ornament on their window shelf, anything. So yeah, okay. I'm here for it. Final question, would you buy something from PLT Home? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, I wouldn't. I mean, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's literally like pom-poms and like, no, their unicorn logo. Yeah, it's those kind of vibes. And I'm I'm a neutral, modern, minimalist. So this, yeah, definitely not my vibe. But I get it. I mean, if that's your thing, totally go for it. Um, But yeah, not for me. Would you? I think you would. You know I wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Is streetwear dead? Apparently not. Supreme, the OG skate culture brand, has sold for 1.6 billion to VF Corporation, the company behind Vans, Timberland, and the North Face. However, some streetwear fans have been critical of the move, seeing the brand as selling out from its independent roots. Initial thoughts? Ah, uh, I'm I'm torn with this one. I, I feel like uh, because of how big VF Corporations is in terms of who they have under I'm, I'm not completely sure it would be a complete sellout. I mean, like you said, we have Vans and we have Timbaland and we they kind of have kind of kept their market and their branding. Nothing's really changed drastically or commercially. Um, but they, I do understand for those that, you know, are part of that clique, you know, the streetwear culture, it's, it's really significant. When we think Supreme, we think streetwear automatically. They have carried that culture for a very long time so it'll be really interesting to see if if anything changes um but I, I i don't think it should i really don't what do you what do you think 
So my my stance is, you know, if streetwear is built on people being individuals and it's more than just fashion, it's a subculture. Um, I guess there was a bit of uproar when it was sold. Well, half the company was originally sold to a private equity company a few years back. And it was the feeling that the essence of Supreme is being diluted. And I'm conscious that I'm kind of like an outsider looking in because I'm not into streetwear. I don't really care for that kind of thing. But if the aim of being sold to, you know, a massive conglomerate is to scale and, you know, to further grow your brand identity and so on, one of the notes of criticism was, oh, we're going to see a, a Supreme in every department store and in every um, shopping center, which I don't know. It, I mean, it could happen. It could be like how H&M do those designer collaborations. Yeah. It could, yeah. I'm not seeing stuff like that. Um, but I'm also like, doesn't that kind of remove the essence of what Supreme is? You know, the scarcity element. Like I remember mm. back in secondary school, or even sixth form, when I first started coming across people who were really into that kind of thing. And they'll be like, oh yeah, I'm waiting for this drop. And they'll literally be either physically <laughs> at ridiculous hours or, or waiting to buy like a brick and then resell it, you know? It's crazy. It's crazy. But it, I think it really, when I think about streetwear, and like like you said, we are outsiders looking at it. And I, I have no interest in it. And I, I've never you know, bought a supreme item or anything along those lines. But when I think about streetwear, and you know, in comparison to like, it's not the same, but in comparison to like the Yeezy culture and the culture of buying and waiting, you know, and being in a queue for hours and then waiting for it to come and then reselling it. The resale value for these items are insane. So there's a whole culture there that is just like, would they would they still be keeping the exclusivity that they have and the uniqueness of each drop that they have? Or would, like you said, would they be focused more on scale? And scale would mean that it's not really about exclusivity anymore. It's more it's, it's more about just expansion. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm talking with how it could, it could go. Yeah, I guess from a business perspective, it's a great move, obviously. I mean, 100%, you're... Yeah. Crazy valuation in the middle of a pandemic, it's a win. Um, obviously, because they're direct to consumer, they haven't had the pain points that a lot of the department stores, which were already struggling, had. So I, I, I'm sure that it'll be great for the business, but maybe it might be worth, I think you mentioned earlier that maybe their consumer base is changing and maybe they're trying to cater to a different consumer base. Back in April, Paris, a workwear brand launched. However, in the thick of the pandemic and with supply issues, the founders realized they needed to redefine workwear. Since then, Paris have produced home working loungewear and Zoom friendly tops. I have a question. Um, what does Zoom friendly tops actually look like? Does anyone, uh, <laughs> anyone know? <laughs> Zoom friendly tops. What has you, do you think? Um, First of all, actually, when you're um, working your day job and you're having meetings, do you have your camera on? Yes, I do. Okay. And do you think your working wardrobe has changed since you started working from home? It hasn't. You know what I've done? I've just worn what I wore in the office at home. Like, not the, you know, full-on suit, for example. I'm not doing that. But the tops, the blouses, 100%. I wouldn't put a blazer on top. That's a bit extra. But a blouse, yeah. A shirt, yeah. I just slip that on. Obviously, they don't need to know what's on me. <laughs> you know, it could be shorts, it could be pajamas. No one knows. Um, but the top half is definitely work wear, as in in the office, in real life work wear. 
Um, so when I hear Zoom friendly tops, I'm like, isn't that workwear tops? Because, <laughs> you see, this is the thing. It's crazy because for me, um, I've never been into my workplace before physically. I've never been because I started during the pandemic, which is really <laughs> weird. Crazy. And, I know, right? I have. I don't even know what the working uniform is. Like, I don't know what is socially acceptable to wear. But what I do know is because we're always on Zoom and we have a morning stand up every single day. So I know that I'm going to be on Zoom every day. Um, everyone is very casual, which means hoodies, t-shirts, whatever. So after f- the first couple of weeks, I was like, oh, okay, you, you're wearing a hoodie. I can wear a hoodie too. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think my work uniform has definitely changed because I would never in a million years wear a hoodie to work anywhere because prior to the pandemic, I never wore hoodies. I never wore hoodies, sweats, anything like that, ever. I just had them there. And then I thought, what am I going to wear them for? And then 2020 happened. And then all of a sudden, I'm wearing (laughs) Okay, Um, can we go back to the part where you never owned sweats? How do you relax when you get home? Please don't tell me in jeans because I'm going to lose it. In that sense, a hoodie can be a Zoom top. Your work working top can be a Zoom top. I think it's just a great um, way of marketing in a time when people may be reluctant to buy more workwear, or they may not be, but you're anticipating their behaviour anyway, so that in case that they choose not to buy more workwear, you're like, oh, here's another reason to make a purchase, even if it's exactly the same purchase you made a year ago. What's interesting is you've gone from a physical product to purely digital and it's allowed you to widen your reach. So how else do you see emerging technologies influencing your businesses? So both Rebecca Tembo and the entry. Okay. I think in terms of Rebecca Tembo, I want to see it more in-house. So the way garments are designed, the sampling process, um, I guess a big thing right now is how do you showcase your work whether you know before be showrooms and fashion shows but digital fashion shows are now a big thing so I really want to see what I can do with that and I'm very creative but I've never really had the time to sit down and allow these ideas these ideas to manifest so now that I've got about two months to just do that um, I really want to yeah try it out and especially with social media because tech goes beyond like softwares and whatnot it's also it can just be your phone you know so I really want to experiment with that I know video is like a really big thing um but I've still got a lot of research to do when it comes to the whole tech world you know being infused with fashion because I'm definitely someone that originally not probably up until last year I loved the traditional route of fashion until I realized you know what there's there's definitely something not going right here like you know the industry was basically falling apart and being exposed for everything um and i think you have to just move with the times and embrace what is and make it what you want it to be um with the entry i guess i can't remember the, the statistics but i know that i think it was by 2025 like the the amount of online courses and the revenue being generated in that field was going to reach billions Um, a year and I think the fact that I've already started and um, I think I'm doing quite well it will definitely allow me to like tap into that and I want the entry to basically be this international hub for fashion designers from all over all over the the world I've got um, plans to do international summits like I'd love to do one in America because most of the following is from America um, in Europe in Africa definitely and um, 
be able to give resources away. One thing I'm very passionate or very aware of, shall I say, is um, my privilege being born in London and having everything that I have and just the access to information. I always say that I'm very grateful to just comprehend and read and have abilities. And I feel like I have family, like my mom's Zambian. So I have family in Zambia that want to be fashion designers. And I know that obviously I plan to be successful to help them, but was I not there? I cannot even imagine that that could be a dream for them. So I want to be able to use this privilege that I have to help others, whether it's buying them these resources, like, you know, buying them iPads so that they can design and do all of that kind of stuff. Or there's charities that you can actually give money to monthly and they buy, um, they buy their students sewing machines or they just train them or whatever and just allow them to like be empowered and then go and help their community. So I think tech can be used for a lot of things, but for me, it will definitely be giving back and then just improving the process in-house for my brand. Sure, I'd like to just take a step back. So going right to the beginning, you mentioned bringing things in-house. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your structure at the moment and how you use technology currently, if, if you do, and what bringing it in-house actually means practically for your brand? Okay, so everything's already done in-house, but I mean in terms of tech. So for example, I recently just bought an iPad and before I was sketching, like just with a pen and paper, like you know like you normally do but it's so inefficient and I'm someone that really likes to save as much time as possible I like things done quickly and just using procreate which is a great app that you can get on I'm sure you can get on all Apple devices um I'm able to design something in 15 minutes just because of the functions that it has and then just the printing of it the the quality of it is great you're able to communicate with anybody that would need a design. So not necessarily for me, but maybe if you work with a manufacturer or you need someone to create technical drawings for you, whatever, your drawings are so much more clearer on an app like Procreate as opposed to when you just quickly do something on a piece of paper and just becoming paperless as well. I'm definitely a writer and I like to write things everywhere, but that's not good for the environment and I want to do my part. So being able to just minimize that as much as possible is very, very important. Um, Anything else I'd want to do in-house? One thing I want to do in the future, not now, is just have a really um, big unit in the UK where everything is made. And I don't want to necessarily use manufacturers. I'm not against it, but I don't want to use manufacturers. I'd love to have my own team of people there and then um, be able to offer those services to other people because we don't have affordable manufacturing in the UK, like really and truly. It's very, very expensive to manufacture here. But the technology needed for that is way beyond my knowledge capacity right now but um yeah i'll be so interested to see how other countries are doing that and how they're being super efficient with it and also you know sustainable as well so yeah i forgot the rest of the question sorry <laughs> well that's pretty much it. it was just a question of how you're bringing things in-house and using technology to make things more efficient so i think we get a feel for that and um it's really i guess timely that you mentioned that you don't want to just be Churning out things about in terms of e-minds priorities, um, is sustainability high up or is it something that you, you're focused on building your business and then you'll incorporate sustainability practices later on? So I always say um, with any designer that I speak to, especially those that have a small brand, is that you can't be a company that's 100% sustainable right now, not even 
the bigger companies are like that. I think you have to start really small and just do your part there. And then as you grow, you'll be able to do more because being sustainable, especially as a fashion brand is very, very expensive. Your fabrics are more expensive. The process is more expensive. Um, you're paying people the right wage, which is technically more expensive than if you were to do something abroad and you you just don't have the money to do that. So I always suggest, for example, like with what I do, start with things like your, your packaging. You can control that. It's, um, it's not as costly. Like it could be just using recycled material or there's a brand called Mason Cleo, I believe, and they don't use anything besides just the DHL packet to send their um, parcels out. But then that's part of their brand and being, you know, sustainable. Um, obviously it's a made to order brand. So that helps because I only produce what's on demand. Whereas um, sometimes with ready to wear, you might create this, you know, huge bulk of orders and then nobody orders it. And then you've got all this waste. And we see that happening with the bigger brands. So we can only imagine what happens with smaller brands that don't have that much reach. Um, so yeah, I would say just start small. In terms of how high it is on my list of priorities, um, I would say it's number two, if I'm being completely honest with you, because I do have a business to grow. And I also like, in the grand scheme of things, what I'm contributing to waste is very, 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 very small compared to what all the other bigger brands are doing. So I can't beat myself up about that. And I can't beat myself up about something that had already started before I even joined the industry, but it's, it's always in the back of my mind and I'm doing something now, which is the most important part. And I'm educating myself on that now, but, um, as I make more money and my business grows, then of course I'll be able to do like so much more, but you need to be realistic with where you are. Um, and yeah. I think from your perspective as a smaller business or a growing business, um, when we talk about sustainability, I think we kind of look at it from like the lens of everyone in fashion must give the same amount of time and energy and money into making the industry more sustainable. When in fact, we do know that the bigger players are, I, I wouldn't say more important or the bonus, uh, the owner, sorry, is on them more than anyone else, but they have caused the most damage if we're being completely honest. So it's really interesting to hear you say that it's number two. I think it's still being a priority for you is important um, and not to be ignored as well, which is really great. But going back to what we spoke about at the beginning, when we talk about pivoting and what the article was actually focusing on was how smaller businesses were pivoting through like social media and through their product as well, from going from like a workwear brand to a zoomable top because everyone was on Zoom. That presented its own challenges for, you know, different brands. Like how do we reach our customers? How do we figure out what they want? How do we figure out what they don't want? How do we know where they are mentally? But what would you say was, has been your biggest challenge personally and as a business? In terms of challenges of pivoting, I truly do think I'm just very lucky and I haven't really had any extreme challenges. But I think being in business for a while now, I've, I'm just so used to challenges in general. And when the pandemic did happen, my first thought was this is a great chance to um, act upon everything you've read, everything you've consumed with the podcasts and books that I read and everything, because if I can't get through this, I don't know what else I can get through. This is the hardest situation for anyone, but especially business owners and someone that's self-employed to be going through. And I felt like getting through this would mean that I'm good with anything else that I do, because like I said, this is the worst thing, but I've been very lucky. And I feel like a lot of other um, brands have been lucky as well. And I, I can't attest that it's down to me um, solely. I think sometimes there is luck and things just work um, for you. And sometimes it's, it's not like that. Um, I think 
if anything, the biggest challenge would always be mindset wise, just believing that you can actually get through something like this and trying to maintain your positivity and be enthusiastic despite everything that's going on in the world. Because the first thing that was being said when, you know, for example, when lockdown was about to go into place in the UK, or maybe when it was actually announced, I remember going on Twitter and everyone was like, oh my gosh, all you guys that have small businesses, like you guys are doomed. And, um, you know, there's always this battle between nine to five entrepreneurs and they're always fighting and everything. It's so silly, it's so immature. Um, but you could see that the nine to fives were so happy that entrepreneurs could potentially um, suffer through this. The entrepreneurs were fighting back and it was just, it was just really dumb and it was really um, negative. And I remember before it did make me a bit anxious. Like I was like, oh my God, maybe, maybe this is it. Like who actually knows what will come from this? Cause I'm actually, this is my only source of income. Um, but I, I just block everything out. Like I, it might sound quite naive, but even in the middle of the pandemic, I was so positive. I was like, I'm still going to make it. I'm still gonna make money. I'm still gonna be good. My brand's going to grow. Like I just kept saying this because I feel like I'm not certain that positive thinking necessarily works all the time, but I believe negative thinking does. And I'd rather just think positively and, you know, expect the best outcome and still prepare for the worst than to be negative because that really doesn't even allow you room to be creative and see those opportunities when you've literally shut yourself out from everything. So yeah, the biggest challenge was definitely just mindset wise, but I, I do feel like I haven't struggled with it or struggled with anything that much because I saw this more as an opportunity to become a better person and to just, yeah, like use everything I've read and stuff. Yeah, so in summary, people on Twitter are a bad mind, be aware. <laughs> um, just a final question. So um, it looks to us that this pandemic has been a great opportunity for you. And I think the most powerful tool for you has been that positive way of thinking. The fact that you've pivoted your core business, you've launched another one is a great testament to the strength of your mindset. So just to wrap it up, where do you see Rebecca Tembo, so both yourself and the brand in the next five years? In the next next five years, I definitely see myself um, partially in LA and also split my time in London. My I'll say about seventy percent of the orders come from America, quite a lot from Texas, New York, Atlanta, and LA. Um, LA just makes more sense because they their fashion industry is actually on the come up in terms of like manufacturing and everything. So that would make a lot more sense. They have the fashion districts being there, and I I love it in general. Um, my revenue goals are quite high for what I'd like to achieve in the next five years, but it's, it's not just to have money sitting in the bank. I don't, I, I just want a team around me. I have two girls that work with me, one called Faye that's in London and one Minera that's in California and they are so great, but I know that we need a bit more support with all the goals that we have um, for the brand. So it'll be just so nice to have a team and we're able to create a sustainable business which is actually profitable and ethical as well because we forget that when it comes to when it comes to sustainability there's people involved it's not just about the planet it's also about people that create things and uh, people that create the fabric and everything and we really forget that side of stuff so I want to be a really good example of that and of course everything that I'm able to achieve with Rebecca Tembo or even anything that I fell with with Rebecca Tembo allows me to do so much more for the entry because I have so much more lessons and knowledge to to share there so yeah definitely expand um, into the states and obviously build up the presence everywhere I want to be 
getting sales from every continent in the world. So that is definitely a huge goal for me. But um, yeah, I'm quite optimistic that everything will be good. As a person, my biggest thing is I realized that as a very ambitious person, who I am right now is not enough for where I want to go, if that makes sense. So what I'm trying to do now, and I think I'm doing okay at it, is just every day constantly like developing into this woman that can handle all of those goals. Because I know that I wouldn't be able to handle a huge team with my mindset and my capacity and everything that I do now. And I wouldn't be able to just easily travel back and forth from different countries and whatnot. Like there, there's so much mental work that goes into it. So I'm just preparing myself for the success that I want because I don't want it to come and pass me by because I couldn't handle it. So, um, yeah, it's, I think she'll be great. I think she'll be um, very hardworking, very disciplined. I think she'll understand the value of rest, I hope, and not feel guilty for it because I'm very, yeah, I always feel guilty when I'm not working. Um, and I hope that she'll enjoy the process a lot more and just embrace every single part of the journey and not always be in a rush to do the next thing. That's what I really hope. Thank you so much for joining us, Rebecca. Um, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at I am Rebecca Tembo and my business is Rebecca Tembo Official and the entry underscore platform. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Fit. For more updates, please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at eFitterApp or follow us with the hashtag TheFitPod. Don't forget to like us, rate us, comment, engage however you listen to your podcasts. It's really important for us so that we can get the word out there. See you soon. Bye.